0: Happy holidays, happy football, new year to you, everybody. It is absolutely exciting. Exploding, and that's why you're here as we welcome you to uh, another edition, our third bowl season edition. This, of course, the show of great renown, Strong as Steel, as we get set to 14 football games today. Uh, what we have left uh, throughout this, what has been a a, a very electrifying in some, in some situations bowl season so far. I'm Michael regai our producer, Jim Nabosna, and as always, joined by the man that uh, that authors Phil Steele's College Football Preview, the best magazine in the biz, and so much more. Happy holidays to our guy, Phil Steele. Phil, welcome, my friend. Great to have you.
1: Well, thank you very much, Michael. Enjoying the bowl season so far. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, we're heading into the meat of it. Seeing a lot of group of five versus group of five teams so far. But now it's all BCS versus BCS. Uh, the Power Conference, I mean, Power Five against Power Five. And, Uh, It's great to see some of these uh, matchups, you know, Pac-12 against Big Ten and and see who's going to end up as the best conference at the end of the year.
0: Absolutely, going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to go through every one of them, no different than we have since this college football season began way back in the end of August and in the Labor Day weekend, the 1st of September. It's what we do. We do it for you. We love the fact that you're with us, uh, Blog Talk Radio, and of course, uh, always on iTunes. You can listen to any show that we've done We've done close to 30, counting the preview shows. And as we told you back in July, it would go right through uh, the end of the month of December, and we'd encapsulate every one of the bowl matchups, and that's what we're doing. Phil's uh, yearly, yearly, Expertise in the bowl confidence pool continues as well. I'm going to touch on that. Man, I got abs. I'm going to give you the games. It just took me apart, man. I should have known better. I should have went with uh, Jeff Monken and his Army Black Knights. I had San Diego State for a lot of points. That hurt me. I, I haven't even called Jason Candle yet because the Toledo Rockets. I, I just don't know. Uh, they no showed against Appalachian State. And Phil, the other one that hurt me is uh, the group you like to call Smooth. They uh, they certainly did not uh, show up and represent either. I had those three uh, big points, all of them, and that's why I'm nowhere near going to win your bull confidence pool, my man.
1: Yeah, I I like San Diego State as well. And, you know, Michael, they were up by seven with like two minutes to go, and then the Army gets a touchdown, the two-point conversion. And the thing that surprised me in that game the most was Rocky Long always stops the option. And if you watch that game, they they didn't stop the option. Army was running the football on them all all game long. Rashad Penny had a couple of big plays, and the Aztecs appeared in control of the game. I lost 25 points on that one uh, just like you did And then uh, the SMU one, you knew you were in trouble at the start of the game when they say, well, you know, Dykes is going to be on the sidelines as the head coach, and he's leaving the offensive play calling to a graduate assistant who's never called plays before. And you're like, okay, I think we're going to struggle here offensively. And uh, sure enough, SMU's offense went out the door in that game.
0: Yeah, and uh, like I said, because I'm so fond of uh, Jason Candle, I'm holding off on making that call to just uh, check in and say hi and happy holidays and that sort of thing, Phil, because, boy, it was absolutely shocking that this Toledo Rocket offense was put up 142 yards, absolutely just completely shut down by Appalachian State.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, App State is a team uh, where I actually had App State in that game, and I thought they played well. But I was surprised that App State dominated the game, like you said, because Toledo's offense had done so well this year. And, you know, so far for the Bull Confidence Contest, doing okay with it. Uh, 20th place right now, uh, 294 points total and 381 left. So
0: uh, hopefully we'll get up there by the end and, and be a little bit higher than 20. Absolutely. Phil, doing so much with the uh, ESPN's insider that you'll want to know about. We'll get to that a little bit later on as well. Hope you've been taking a look at uh, all of Phil's terrific uh, prognostications and uh, assessments uh, on ESPN as he's done a terrific job with that all year long. Alright, we've got 14, so let's get rolling. Without further ado, Phil mentioned we've got a lot of uh, matchups now in the Power 5. Let's start with uh, December 29th slate, and this will be the Belk Bowl, of course, and those Demon Deacons of Wake 4 7 up and 5 down. Texas A&M, 7 up and 5 down. The matchup on the year. Phil, the Deeks set a school record this year. They averaged 33 points a game. Also, they went over 5,000 total yards for the first time in their program history. I certainly took note of that. Huge turnaround from last year. They only averaged 19 points a game and 308 yards of total low. Quarterback uh, John Welford, effective year, no doubt 25-6. PD pick ratio hit 63%. We know Texas A&M splashed real big after the season was over early December when they fired Kevin Sumlin. In comes Jimbo Fisher from Florida State. Ten years, $75 million. And, of course, very young football team. Forty-nine of the 79 Aggies are either freshmen or second-year players, redshirt freshmen or sophomores. They led the SEC in uh, quarterback sacks this year with 40. Uh, Landis uh, Durham with uh, 85 of uh, those had a terrific uh, season. Uh, so Jeff Barnes, though, is the uh, special teams uh, co- Jeff Banks, excuse me, special teams coordinator, and he's uh, the interim head coach. Uh, you know, Phil, we've seen this before. How motivated will the Aggies uh, be in this football game for uh, for Jeff Banks as Jimbo Fisher watches?
1: Yeah, that's that's a big question here. And, you know, when you look at this game, Michael, if it was the start of the year, let's say it was August, and I said Texas a and is playing Wake Forest in a bowl game, you'd be like, wow. A&M probably favored by 14 points. But you know, the key to me to Wake Forest turnaround has been their offensive line. You go back to when Dave Clawson uh, three years ago, started playing all these freshmen, actually two years ago, I should say, uh, on the offensive line. He played basically on almost an entire offensive line made up of freshmen. Now, they weren't as big as everybody else. They weren't as strong as everybody else, and they took their lumps. And the same thing last year when those guys became sophomores. Now that they're juniors, they're bigger, stronger, better, and giving uh, – cl- uh, John Wolford protection, he's not as bad a quarterback as you thought he was because his first two years he had 18 touchdown passes, 21 interceptions. But the first year he was sacked 40 times. Uh, Then in 2016, he was sacked 39 times. This year, 17. See the difference in the offensive line? And with less pressure, John Wolford's got 25 touchdowns and six interceptions, like you mentioned. The run game is solid. They don't have any breakaway backs, but they've got a lot of good running backs. Their top receiver, Greg Dortch, was lost uh, for the season late in the year. He won't be around but I like with the way Wake Forest offense is going, especially with that offensive line. You look at them defensively, there's some major question marks here. I mean, Wake down the stretch, giving up a lot of yards and points. In fact, in ACC play this year, 452 yards per game. On the season, they gave up 4.5 yards per carry. and has got the talent, and we know that. And now that uh, Nick Starkle is back at QB, they probably have a stronger offense. Against LSU, they didn't fare well in the season final, but did put up 391 yards against Ole Miss. They've got uh, dangerous breakaway running backs, receivers like Christian Kirk. And uh, Texas a also has the special teams. So I rate them number four versus Wake Forest number 59. I do think right now Wake's a better team. They are basically, it's going to be a home game. I don't, can't imagine A&M fans traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina in force for the Belk Bowl, whereas you can't imagine Wake Forest fans going there. So I would lean with Wake in this one, but my favorite play, Michael, would be the over because you have two flawed defenses, two strong offenses, and even though the total is 65-and-a-half, nothing to lose here. I think we see both offenses go all out. So I think that there's going to be some points in this one.
0: All right, offensive fireworks, says Phil in that one, and uh, I'm with Phil. I like uh, I like Dave Clawson of Wake Forest as well. That's the bulk bowl that uh, begins the day of festivities on um Friday, December the 29th. Let's uh, move out West Sun Bowl time. This is a tradition-rich uh, bowl game that's played in El Paso, Texas. And this features the 24th-ranked Wolf Pack of uh, the ACC, North Carolina State. Dave Dorn's group, 8-4 and four on the year against Arizona State. Now, we know uh, our ESPN buddy, uh, Herm Edwards, is going to take this program over as uh, the 2018 season will commence Sun Devils went seven and five this year. Phil, the uh, the pack bolted out to a six and one start, and then they dropped three of their last five at Notre Dame, Clemson at home, and at Wake Forest. Ryan Finley's very efficient, their quarterback, low pick ratio throughout his career. And the 2017 Nagurski Award winner Bradley Chubb is dominant. He's, he's going to be a top ten pick in April's NFL Draft, uh, no question about that. A disru- as disruptive an edge rusher as you're going to find uh, around uh, the college game. Uh, the Devils, as we said, they're going to welcome Herm Edwards in eventually. Uh, Todd Graham uh, let go, and uh, so this this is a, a, another situation where. You've got Graham, the uh, uh, let go, and new head coach coming in. You're not sure how they're going to perform. I like the running backs Damario, uh, Richard and Kalen Bolodge. They lead a potent Arizona State attack. Phil, I think they combined for about 1,600 yards together and 18 TDs. How do you evaluate this one again? It's that same situation again. You've got the, the fired head coach and uh, the, the program waiting for their new head coach to come on in
1: well the the difference uh with Arizona State, as opposed to all the other games which have interim head coaches, like you had just talked about with texas a and m is Todd Graham's actually going to coach this team and uh, I like that fact. Mm-hmm. I think that the you know he, rec- he recruited each and every one of these players uh and Todd Graham's the type of guy who if if you believe in Todd he's going to believe in you, and you know there's a lot of strong relationships there and if I'm a player. And I don't give my best effort for Todd Graham in his final game at Arizona State. He stuck around. He didn't have to stick around and coach this bowl game, but he wanted to. Uh, Granted, the, the coordinators are going to be different, but with Todd Graham still there, I think the players are going to give top effort. Now, I do think NC State's stronger on the offensive line, defensive line. Skill player wise, I'm going to give the edge to Arizona State as you mentioned, Demario uh, Richard and then uh, Kalen Balaj, They've got Nikhil Henry, Kyle Williams at the receiver core, along with Jalen Harvey. They've got some pretty capable guys there. And then you take a look at the fact that I think they'll have more fans there. They're uh, closer. The Pac-12 team generally does better in the Sun Belt or in the Sun Bowl, I should say. Uh, it's Todd Graham's final game. They have the special teams edge, number 33 against number 104. And I've been using Arizona State as an underdog all year. This team is one of the better underdog teams in the country. Uh, delivered a lot of outright upsets. They, they upset Washington. They upset Utah on the road. They upset the unbeaten at the time, Oregon Ducks. So I think Arizona State comes to play for their outgoing head coach, Todd Graham. I like the
0: Sun Devils. They're getting a full touchdown here as well. I think they've mm-hmm. got a shot of pulling the outright upset. Yeah, I like your thought about Todd Graham on that as well, and that's something that, uh, yes, should play a factor in this one too. So that is the Sun Bowl in El Paso, Texas. Strong as steel as we're in the last leg of our our bowl matchups, our previews, evaluations for each and every one of you as we have done all year long. Let's let's stay on December 29th uh, back into the state of Tennessee, Nashville, the Music City Bowl. Northwestern Wildcats are the big ten. twenty first ranked on the year. They're in the top twenty five for the last three, four weeks of the season. And Pat Fitzgerald Squad, so they dropped back to back games to Wisconsin and Penn State, and they dropped to two and three, and then uh, voila, they ripped off seven consecutive wins. They roll into Nashville, one of the hottest squads in the nation. Now, there's no doubt about that. They're playing terrific football. The offense led by quarterback uh, Clayton Thorson. And, Phil, you know, I started looking at some of the history of uh, running backs around uh, college football, history of the game. And I did not realize and I thought, uh, unbelievable, Justin Jackson, the outstanding Northwestern running back, is the 11th best ground gainer in NCAA history. So he never gets mentioned in the uh, the best of the running backs around the country. I'll be real honest. You and I didn't mention him a whole lot this year. Fifty-two hundred eighty-three yards for his career, looking to do damage one more time. So it's going to be against uh, the Kentucky Wildcats and uh, that seven-and-five football team. And uh, head coach Mark Stoops. He's got a uh, challenge on his hands, trying to deal with Thorson and Justin Jackson. Of course, they got drilled by Littleville, 44-17, regular season finale. Week before, they got ripped 42-13 by Georgia. So, Phil, we're looking at a Kentucky football team here that uh, aggregate score got beat 86-30 in those last two football games of the year. Now, they're going to have to get the D squared away, as we said. Running back Benny Snell Jr. is legit. He averages about 110 yards per, uh, per game with 18 TDs, but... I mean, Phil, Mark Stoops, you're going to be able to come up with a way to wipe off those final two games and get a handle on this Northwestern offense.
1: Uh, you know, when I look at this matchup, to me, it's um, Kentucky, if you follow them this year, if they can push you around that line of scrimmage, you have the rushing edge for the game. They went. It's that simple. They've done it almost all season long. Uh, I believe they were uh, um, had the rushing edge in seven games. They won six of those when they're not dominant at the line of scrimmage, they can get pushed around and they lose. So if if you follow Kentucky, there's been one rare exception, the Missouri game. They actually won that game despite despite getting out rushed. All the other games that they were out rushed, they lost. And I got to think Northwestern's going to win the rushing edge here. They've got a very physical offensive line, as you touch on, Josh, Justin Jackson, four straight thousand yard seasons, one of the Big Ten's all time leading rushers. Uh, keys their ground attack. On the flip side of the coin. The reason Northwestern won all those games down the stretch, I mean, they, early in the year against Duke, I was surprised. Duke ran the ball for 233 yards on them. I, since then, they haven't given up nothing on the ground. I mean, they're, most of their games are below 100 yards per game on the season, just 111 yards per game rush, 3.3 yards per carry. And if you can stop Kentucky's run attack and put the onus on Steven Johnson to win it for you through the air, you're in pretty good shape. So I see Northwestern controlling the line of scrimmage, being one of those bully type of teams that Kentucky lost to pretty much all season long. And uh, even though Northwestern for years under Pat Fitzgerald always did great as an underdog, poor as a favorite, they're actually starting to come around as a favorite and have a winning record the last three years. Uh, In the favorites role. So I'm going to go with Northwestern and uh, even laying the points here. I like the Northwestern Wildcats to win this
0: battle of the Wildcats. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ditto me right along with Phil on that. Uh, Northwestern and Kentucky. That is the Music City Bowl. Great to have all of you along, the strongest steel. Our producer, Jim DeBosna, here, uh, as well as uh, Phil Steele and yours truly. We, uh, all three of us, wish you uh, the very, very best of uh, the holiday season and spirit and cheer and everything that's good for you and your families. And we know that means uh, a tremendous slate of college football bowl action, and that's what we're here doing with you. Uh, you know, we mentioned most of these matchups. Now we're getting into the uh, uh, the Power Fives, whether it's uh, Big Ten, uh, Pac-12, whether it's uh, Big 12 involved in the uh, the college football playoff or uh, the, all the SEC action uh, against the Big Ten and in some cases. Uh, this one here, this is the last one left that's, that is the real uh, Group of Five matchup, Group of Five against Group of Five. Uh, tomorrow the Arizona Bowl on December 29th, Utah State. Six up and six down out of the year out of the Mountain West and from the Sun Belt, New Mexico State. pair of six and six football teams. And, Phil, as we go through this, Matt Wells, the head coach at Utah State, is Aggies, so they close that Mountain West regular season. They got got beat 38-35 in the loss at Air Force. But they are making their sixth bowl trip in the last seven seasons. Balanced offense, 170 yards rush, and uh, 223 in the air, doing it with a couple of QBs. Jordan Love, the redshirt freshman, Kent Myers, they split time through the year. Love has started the last five. But, Phil, I want to give you kudos, my friend, because I I thought this was the case. And I went back and looked, and sure enough, you compared Utah State this year to Idaho in 2016, meaning Keep an eye on this football team, and rather New Mexico State, I apologize, New Mexico State to Idaho out of the Sun Belt. Keep an eye on this football team, a team that's uh, going to be a bowl team at 17. So congratulations, you were right on that. Your quarterback uh, there, Tyler Rogers, a solid year, 3,800 yards, 26 TDs. And New Mexico State, uh, you know, sitting at uh, four and six, but they got bowl eligible, Phil, with those uh, those back-to-back wins over Idaho and South Alabama. So, again, congrats on picking them as a a team to uh, keep an eye on this year. And how do you think they fare in this one against Utah State?
1: Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Michael. In fact, uh, you know, everybody asks me every year, who's your favorite team, and I always say, It's a team I picked higher than everybody else, and in this case, both these teams fit that category. I was a Utah State and a New Mexico State fan all season long and glad to see them both in there. And by the way, it is New Mexico State's first bowl game since 1960. They had the longest bowl drought out there and finally ended it. So 1960, a pretty good year and uh, New Mexico State is a, a team that finally ended that bowl drought. Now, when you look at the two matchups, I like New Mexico State's offense, no doubt about it. Tyler Rogers, as you pointed out, a dangerous QB, and Larry Rose the third, worth the price of admission. If you haven't watched Larry Rose play a football game yet, he is a dangerous runner. He averages 4.7 yards per carry. Defense, got to give the edge there to uh, Utah State. Now, I will say this. New Mexico State's got a pretty good defensive line, and when I talked to Coach Martin, who I believe is a friend of both yours and mine, Michael. Uh, Doug Martin, of course, used to be the head coach at Kent State. He was talking about the defense. And, you know, when he started taking last year's number two tackler and saying he was third string coming into the season, I said they're going to have an improved D, and that they did. They went from allowing 497 yards per game to 398. But Utah State does have the better defense, took on better offenses on the air and their secondary matches up pretty well. I rate it number 59 in the country. Coaching edge, got to give it to Matt Wells. He's 2-1 and one in bowl games. Doug Martin is actually 0-0 in bowl games, so it'll be good to see him uh, finally get to coach a bowl game. But the biggest edge in this game is got to be the special teams. I rate U- Utah State number two special teams in the country. I rate New Mexico State number 122. And when you have that big of a special teams edge, Uh, you're going to have the field position the majority of the night. We saw that last night with Texas against Missouri. We're seeing that in this game here. I rate clearly a large edge to Utah State. They played the tougher schedule this year to boot. So as great a story as New Mexico State has been this year, I think Utah State's the better football
0: team and ends up winning this one probably by more than the four points. Yeah, 1960. Isn't that amazing? I mean, my goodness, 57 years. Now that's a bold draw. I hope no other program in the country has to has to endure and uh, congrats so to Doug Martin as Phil said who has done a terrific job there. All right that's the final matchup as we said Utah State and New Mexico State, Mountain West and the Sun Belt. Okay you want to really get into uh, the uh, the meat of the holiday Bowl menu It's coming now uh, on December 29th the Cotton Bowl. Number five Ohio State, the Buckeyes, at 11 and 2 on the year against number eight USC, also 11 and 2 on the year. I mean, what do we need to say here? Two legendary programs in college football. I love this matchup collide in Arlington, Texas. Remember last year, other than the national championship game uh, with Clemson uh, winning on the, the Deshaun Watson, the Hunter Renfro TD pass with. The clock hitting triple zeros. Phil, you and I talented. You said keep an eye on... Penn State and USC in the Rose Bowl and Michigan and Florida State in the Orange Bowl. And last year, outside the national championship game, those two were the very best electrifying matchups. I think we've got the very same thing here. As we said, look, Ohio State, right, Phil, I, we've talked about it all year, sixth nationally in total offense, 523 yards a game. They averaged 42 and a half. And, Got to tell you, JT Barrett, I've been surprised he's been maligned uh, as much as he has by many Ohio State fans, kind of a love-hate relationship with him. 37 wins in his career, the most of any quarterback in Ohio State history. They want to go out big. He wants to go out big. <laughs> the Ohio State amazingly has dropped seven in a row and eight of the last nine against USC. And that goes back to the seventy four Rose Bowl win. expect to see a heavy dose though of freshman running back j k. dobbins. He's phenomenal, a breakout talent set the program record for freshman running backs over thirteen hundred yards, seven and a half yards per toe to the football fifth in the nation and Phil, we know u s c counters with a great one of their own, Ronald Jones in all american almost fifteen hundred yards and eighteen touchdowns, nine one hundred yard plus games. And, Phil, I look to fifth all-time in USC's prestigious career rushing list. The four ahead of them, Charles White, Marcus Allen, Anthony Davis, and Ricky Bell. That's how good of a college running back that uh, – that Ronald Jones uh, has been. Uh, Sam Darnold's going to get a lot of attention in this one, Phil. We know that, 20-3 and as a two-year starter here. Uh, uh, Listen, it's classic. It's going to be classic. Give us your evaluation and maybe where you see uh, an edge that a lot of us wouldn't look at for Ohio State and USC.
1: Well, you know, when you look at this game on paper or play it in a computer, Ohio State's going to come up probably about a two-touchdown favorite. So, you know, line being seven-and-a-half, Probably surprises some people. Ohio State's over a touchdown favorite. But really, computer ratings would have Ohio State, either the number two team in the country or number one. They're just not in the playoffs because the numbers have been so great. Now, one of the differences is I think USC has played to the level of their competition all year. They've had a lot of games where they sort of waffled by against inferior foes. Meanwhile, Ohio State, when they did play an inferior foe, they had wins like 56-0, 62-14, 56-14, and that was against Nebraska. So all season long, they've been dominating the inferior teams. But a couple edges, I think, uh, which are going to be surprising for USC. I think USC, when you look at the back seven on defense, stand toe-to-toe with Ohio State, maybe even have a slight edge. I do give Ohio State the the advantage at the line of scrimmage, both offensive line and defensive line. But uh, I think the site will favor Ohio State. They'll have more of the crowd. But here's why I'm going to lean with USC plus the points and in a potential even upset. I think USC plays a great game here. First of all, USC has been a banged up team. You go back to that Notre Dame game, I think they had 24 players on the injury report. They are playing their fourth straight tough game in a row, and they ended up losing that game and getting waxed by Notre Dame. They got healthier as the season went on. And Sam Darnold opened the year with seven interceptions in the first four games. and went on the radio at that point and said – Sam Darnold will not throw seven interceptions the rest of the year. He's making me look pretty good. He's only had five in the last nine games, and so he's looked like the quarterback he thought he would be. He stopped trying to force it into very tight windows. Ronald Jones, as you touched on, the dangerous back. The other advantage is how Ohio State has played against their toughest opponents this year. Now, against Oklahoma, they lost outright at home. Against Penn State, they escaped with a one-point win. Against uh, Michigan, They actually only led that game by six, got a late touchdown to win it by 11, or only won it by four, got a late touchdown to win by 11. And then Wisconsin, a team I thought they outbatched, they only won that game by six. So it's not like they've blown out any of their opponents that they've played so far this year, the big opponents. And I think USC clearly falls into that category. Talent-wise, they're right there with Ohio State. I think both teams are well-motivated. I think this one goes right down to the wire. So I like
0: the underdog Trojans in this one, plus the points. Nice call, Phil. And uh, I'm uh, I'm right with you on that. Uh, with with USC and and this one against Ohio State, but it it could be a classic. And as we said, I mean uh, last year to me, Penn State and USC and the Rose Bowl was phenomenal. As was Michigan and Florida State, one point game in the Orange Bowl and. We'll expect something like this in this one. All right, great to have you all here on Strongest Steel. We are rolling as now we're through December 29th. Let's get up uh, into December 30th as we continue on. Jacksonville, Florida, the spot Tech Slayer Bowl as we Go ACC against SEC here. Louisville's Cardinals eight and four in the ACC overall four and four in the ACC against another eight and four football team in the SEC. Mississippi State and uh, four and four in conference play. Cards won their final three to get to that eight-win plateau. And Phil, all they did, Lamar Jackson and crew, they averaged forty-six points a game in those final three games that uh, they rolled the competition. Jackson, I mean, what do you want to say about uh, this young man? Uh, A lot of people thought he should have won the Heisman again. Rushed for 1,400 yards, 17 touchdowns, threw for another close to 3,500 yards with 25 more TDs. So he accounted for 42 total touchdowns this year. Um, uh, Three of the cards, his receivers over 600 yards, uh, led by uh, Jalen Smith and Des Fitzpatrick. They combined for 15 TDs. Now, Mississippi State, they lost two of their last three to set you up for Phil's evaluation, and they also lost head coach uh, Dan Mullen, of course, to Florida, where he was with Urban Meyer as his offensive coordinator back in the day. Joe Moorhead, as we know, is in from Penn State the 2016 and 17 Offensive Coordinator of the Year. Fabulous job for James Franklin in Penn State. Greg Knox is your interim head coach for the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. True freshman quarterback, Keetion Thompson, is in for the injured Nick Fitzgerald. Interim head coach, Phil, Nick Fitzgerald injured and out, true freshman KT on Thompson in. How does that factor in against Lamar Jackson and Louisville?
1: Uh, factors in pretty large. If this game is during the regular season, Dan Mullen was head coach, uh, that the Mississippi State had uh, Nick Fitzgerald at QB, and let's say even Mississippi State was at home, I'd favor the Bulldogs. They've got the better defense, better special teams, and uh, they played better than my expectations this year. But in this particular matchup, I like the uh, timing and the situation and the overall talent. I like Louisville in this one, and let me explain to you why. Uh, first of all, you go back to the quarterback spot. Thompson, as you mentioned, looked okay in the Egg Bowl, but uh, this is a Lamar Jackson who's closing out his career strong. You look at his last three games. They were remarkable. Nobody just, was just paying attention to it. They played Virginia, Syracuse, and Kentucky. looked great, and I think um, Lamar Jackson finishes off his career with a big game here. Then, as you touched on the coaching, not only is Mississippi State without Dan Mullen, they're without their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. And if I'm Bobby Petrino, I'm feeling a little bit of heat. I mean, 8-4 when folks are talking about his contending for the ACC title game, a disappointing 8-4. They were favored in three of the four games that they lost. I want to finish off the season just as strong as we finished those last three games. I need a big win to build some momentum for next year. So add it all up. I like Louisville in this one. They are minus 6.5 against Mississippi State, and I think they, they win it by more than that uh, on the road or in the, the Slayer Bowl.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you, Phil. I like that call as well because I, I just, you know, as, as we've talked about early teams with interim head coaches and uh, a lot of times that new head coaches there on site uh, watching the program, that just doesn't seem to lead to quality performances. So uh, that's exactly what we have in Jacksonville. And uh, Phil and I both like Louisville in this one. All right, let's go to a Big 12 matchup here on Strongest Steel against the American Athletic Conference. Iowa State, seven and five, one of the darlings of the early part of uh, this 2017 season with head coach Matt Campbell. They'll take on a team that's flown under the radar a little bit, but boy, what do we tell you about uh, the Memphis Tigers, 20th ranked out of the American Athletic, ten and two on the year. The only American loss uh, was that uh, that uh, that wild one uh, against uh, against UCF uh, during the course of the year. So. It's a seven-win season for the first time since 2005 for the Cyclone program. As you said, Matt Campbell, the uh, young man who played his college football at Division III Power uh, Mount Union, then did a tremendous job as a head coach at Toledo with a MAC, beat both Oklahoma and TCU in Big 12 play. That's why I said they were the darlings of uh, the college football upset world for a while. Uh, Second year under Campbell. They went from three wins and 16. He's looking for his eighth win if they can grab this bowl victory over Memphis. Uh, Their last time they were in a bowl was five years ago in the 2012 season when they were in this Liberty Bowl and lost to Tulsa. Now, I've touted Memphis uh, quarterback gunslinger and fellas too, Riley Ferguson, all year long way back to the previews keep an eye out for riley ferguson he might fly under the radar he didn't disappoint led the offense to 47 points a game that's second in the fbs second behind league rival ucf fourth in the fbs with 548 yards per game phil that you've been all over all year long oklahoma oklahoma state louisville were the top three so uh, when you look at this one, you know, uh, as we mentioned, Riley Ferguson, uh, he was terrific this season, 36 touchdowns, hit 63% through for just a few yards shy of 4,000. He had four games where he threw four touchdown passes or more. I don't know, Phil, this one, uh, again, can a group of five here from Memphis uh, pull a little bit of a shock against Iowa State for the Big 12 and the Liberty? Playing at yeah, home, well, right? Memphis is he. A-
1: yeah, Memphis is at home in the Liberty Bowl. They are a four point favorite in this game against Iowa State. They come in with a better record, and no doubt they have the better offense. They averaged uh, 48 points per game. Iowa State averages 30. You talked about Ferguson, also Daryl Henderson, a 1,000 yard rusher, a running back who averaged 8.9 yards per carry. And watch Anthony Miller. When I was talking to Mel Kuyper. very high on Anthony Miller. In fact, he's higher on Anthony Miller than he is on Riley Ferguson. says so he's made Riley Ferguson look pretty good. So watch Anthony Miller and his 17 touchdowns in this game. Meanwhile, with Iowa State, uh, they've got capable guys. Kyle Kempf is a Oregon State transfer. Wasn't even going to start at, o- at uh, Oregon State, but has done well here. David Montgomery, a 1,000-yard rusher, and they've got a talented receiver as well in Lazard, But Memphis rates the edge there. Defensively, you got to give the edge to Iowa State, uh, especially on the defensive line and linebacker. Uh, Coaching-wise, I'm going to take uh, Matt Campbell. He's 2-1 in bowl games, done a good job, and done a great job with them this year. The home edge clearly goes to Memphis. The special team's edge to Memphis, number six against 69, and then a huge edge schedule-wise to Iowa State. Uh, they've taken on my number 20th toughest schedule. Memphis a very light slate, number 88. Uh, and In fact, uh, they only played one Power 5 team, and that was a flawed UCLA who they beat earlier in the year. So Overall, I rate this game... A toss-up, basically, and with Iowa State getting four, I think Iowa State's got a shot here. I think the Power 5 team will come in motivated as an underdog. So I'll take the points with Iowa State in this one.
0: All right, we'll keep an eye on that call from Phil Steele as uh, he likes Iowa State to go into uh, Memphis and get the home-standing Memphis Tigers. All right, that's... uh, that's one that uh, is, as we said, a power five versus a group of five. Let's uh, get back to this slate on December 30th here on Strongest Steel as we take you right through the college football playoff semis on this edition. Fiesta Bowl time where the 11th-ranked Washington Huskies, 10-2 and overall, 7-2 and in the Pac-12, will tangle with number nine Penn State. Same mark, 10-2 and overall, 7-up, 2-down in the Big Ten. Really like Chris Peterson, Phil and I tell you about him all the time, he continues to do a stellar job with the Huskies. Hey Chris. Uh, you know, last year they the, the losses the college football playoff last year, of course. The losses this year at Arizona State and at Stanford on the road. He didn't have USC on the schedule this year. And uh, they drilled Washington State in that Apple Cup, 41 to 14. That's the hundredth win in Peterson's career. And uh, Phil, I I love to really sink my teeth into the uh, the coaching section of. Uh, of uh, Phil Steele's college football preview, and as I was uh, looking at the Phil Steele's college football preview, is going to show for 2018 that Chris Peterson is one of the fastest in college football history to 100 wins. Phil, he's done it in just 117 head coaching games. You know who some of the others are who did it that fast: uh, Fielding H. Yost, Newt Rockney and Bud Wilkinson. So. Peterson's into the fastest to 100 wins column. Uh, real, real good company there. So uh, they're going against Penn State. James Franklin's uh, two brilliant uh, the teams last year, last year and this. It's been real happy and happy valley. Two losses this year were a total of four points. Phil touched on the one-point loss at Ohio State. They got beat after a three-hour weather delay at Michigan State by four. They led both of these games, Phil, in the fourth quarter. That's how close the Nittany Lions were from maybe going into the Big Ten championship game undefeated. We all know about Saquon Barkley uh, was the Heisman front runner through October. Trace McSorley's one of the top dual-threat, run-pass option QBs in the country. Really like this matchup, Phil. Uh, is the lean toward Penn State here?
1: Yes, it is. And, uh, you know, when you look at Washington, I want you to watch their defensive line. It's a guy that doesn't put up a lot of stats. His name is Vita Vea. He's a defensive tackle, but he demands a double team or triple team on almost every play. And the NFL scouts love him. And uh, keep your eyes on the, on the interior of that defensive line. Washington's got a very good defense this year. Uh, in fact, I read it uh, the number uh, seven defense in the country. All right, Penn State number six. They've had a pretty good defense as well, so I think it's very close when you look at the uh, when you look at the uh, defenses overall for both teams. Uh, offensively, I got to give Penn State the edge a quarterback with McSorley, although I like Jake Browning, and also I'll take Saquon Barkley. Special teams are pretty close, and that's going to be huge because a big part of Washington this year has been Dante Pettis, their outstanding return man. He's a threat to score a touchdown anytime he gets the ball. They've got to keep the, way, the ball away from Dante Pettis, or he could turn the whole game around. I figure there's going to be more Penn State fans here, although it should be fairly close, and Penn State's played the tougher schedule. Great matchup. I just think Penn State's a stronger team, and I believe they're only about a two-point or one-and-a-half-point favorite right now, so I lean with Penn State to win the game, and – um I think they're closer to an unbeaten season than uh, Washington is this year, although both teams came fairly
0: close. Yeah. Yeah, they both did, no doubt about it. Real real intrigued by this matchup, though, and uh, we'll see. I don't know if it'll, you know, as we've talked about, I don't know if it'll rival Penn State, USC, in last year's Rose Bowl, but... uh, Again, Chris Peterson has a way of getting those Washington Huskies ready to play big football games. That's the Fiesta Bowl as we continue on with Strong as Steel. Phil, this be a good punt. Now, all of our, our listeners... And uh, whether it's uh, you know inside the press box or at PhilSteel dot com, ESPN Insiders, everything you do, uh, there's still room, isn't there, for if you'd like some uh, your bowl evaluations and assessments. Uh, how do our listeners go about that?
1: Yeah, two ways to get it. You go to Inside the Press Box, get the computer reports, all the numbers on the game, as well as my forecast. That's uh, Inside the Press dot com. Pick up on the latest of the bowls, or. If you're an ESPN Insider, just go to ESPN.com, and it's uh, ESPN.com slash Phil Steele. It'll take you to ESPN Insider. When you get there, you'll get my write-ups on every remaining bowl game, every NFL game for this weekend, and then coming up, every NFL playoff game. It's, it will all be up there on ESPN Insider. Very proud to be a member uh, or a writer of it, and you can get uh, all my ESPN Insider stuff. At just go to ESPN.com. Slash Phil Steele become an ESPN insider today.
0: Yeah, shouldn't want to do without it. And what a way for you to be able to cap off uh, what we hope has been a very uh, productive. As well as informative, 2017 College Football Bowl season for you. Uh, let's keep rolling. Uh, We've mentioned the Orange Bowl, a classic last year uh, between uh, Michigan and Florida State that was decided in the last with by a Florida State TD to win it. This one? Could be the exact same way. Number ten, Miami, the Canes, out of the ACC, ten and two overall, seven and one in conference play against those uh, number six, Wisconsin Badgers, whose only loss of the year in the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State. The win, a win would give the Canes in this one their seventh Orange Bowl championship in their history. And we know if you go back into the uh, the through the decade of the eighties and on into the early nineties, I mean Miami you you know, playing at home, boy, they made the Orange Bowl their own personal playpen with so many huge wins. Uh, now, though, the capping off their first 10-win season for the first time in 14 years, got to go back to 0-3, and Mark Rick has done a fabulous job. And Mark Rick, remember, you know, this is why it's such a good story. Mark Rick is a player in the early '80s. He was in the uh, the used quarterback room as he was the fourth on the depth chart behind Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar, and Vinny Testaverde. So he didn't got a lot of play in time as his career evolved. But boy, he's been a fabulous head coach. He went that coaching route. And of course, he's got his own quarterback that he likes. Um, uh, Malik Rozier Rozier with the uh, 30 touchdown uh, passes this year. He tied Vinny Testaverde's uh, record in 1986, by the way. And when you look at uh, this football team, are they poised to deal with a team like Wisconsin, the uh, the ultimate strong, powerful offensive line, defensive line football team? Phil, they went into that uh, as we said, they're undefeated, and went into the Big Ten championship game 12 and 0, got beat 27-21 by Ohio State. Uh, you know, offensively, of course, we know what this is all about. They want to pound you and uh, run. The football very, very uh, effectively. Are they going to be able to do that and establish their dominance against a team like Miami and the Orange Bowl?
1: Well, that's a big question. And really, uh, that's a part, part of the game to watch to see if Wisconsin's going to win. Because many times you get the big offensive line like Wisconsin has, you get the outstanding running back like Jonathan Taylor. who's averaging 6.8 yards per carry and has a chance at of topping of 2,000 yards in this game. He's got 1847 on the year. And uh, then you match them up against the speedy, athletic defensive front of Miami. And we saw the same type of matchup against Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State's excellent defensive front slowed Wisconsin down, in fact, held them to 60 yards rushing on 32 carries. And, you know, Miami's a team that took on Notre Dame, which came in rolling in, averaging 7 yards per carry on the season. They held Notre Dame to 109 yards rushing and 3.0 yards per carry. And when you look at the matchup, a lot of folks say, well, you know, Clemson steamrolled them 38-3, to so how's that defense? Well, their defense wasn't bad. They only gave up 331 yards to Clemson. A lot of it was the offensive ineptitude that they had, and part of that was because running back Mark Walton's out for the year. Their top receiver, Kristen Herndon, out for the year. Or, excuse me, their top tight end, Christopher Herndon, out for the year. One of their top receivers, Amon Richards, out for the year. So they were shorthanded offensively, and they're still shorthanded here. As you heard, all three of those players are out for the year, and they run into a Wisconsin offense that I rate number one in the country right now. now Ohio State did get 449 yards on them, uh, but a lot of that was big plays. I thought they played well a good portion of the game. So what we have here is two outstanding defenses, two offenses where I think Wisconsin played very few elite defenses like this during the year. Ohio State would be one. Michigan would be the other. And in that game they only had 14 first downs. And uh, Miami's offense is flawed as well. So my favorite play in this one, Michael, uh, which is tough for me to pick a side because I can make a case for both Wisconsin and Miami, I actually like
0: under 45 the best in this game. Mm, So let those defenses come out in that one and Phil laid out why. I, I understand why you'd want to go that way. I'll take the side in this one, and um, you know, I know it's uh, down there in the, in South Florida, but I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I think they'll uh, they will uh, be able to, as the game wears on, overpower Miami and win a close one here. Maybe that's some of my uh, my, my Big Ten bias coming out. I don't know. Uh, that should be a good one, though. Should be a lot of fun. Wisconsin and Miami. Having a lot of fun with you, strong as steel. This is our, our uh, wind-up bowl edition as we uh, we will ultimately take you through all 40 bowl matchups leading into what will be the uh, championship game in the college football playoff that comes up on January the 8th. We're on to January 1st, New Year's Day, Outback Bowl, pair of eight and four squads, Big Ten, SEC, 18 first-year starters. That was uh, what Jim Harbaugh had as he had uh, 13 of his players last year went to the National Football League. So he breaks in 18 new starters. They only brought four back. I think the loss to Michigan State in that uh, that weather game, 14-10 loss where John O'Coran threw five picks. That kind of, I think, threw Michigan off and uh, put a real microscope onto those young players. Of Jim Harbaugh, one of them though, Brandon Peters, the six foot five uh, pocket passing quarterback that Jim Harbaugh recruited in 2016. He came on and uh, started four. He led them to wins in three of them. And Phil, they led Wisconsin uh, early fourth quarter in Madison. Peters went uh, got concussed, went out, didn't play versus Ohio State. Karan Higdon had a real strong year running the football. They used the tight ends a lot, of course. That's all. Harbaugh likes to do. Will Muschamp at South Carolina, as we said, eight and four. Muschamp goes six and seven in his first year in Columbia, South Carolina. So he upped that this year, eight and four. Wins a couple more football games here. You know, I thought as the year went on, I was expecting more out of their offense, Phil. Maybe you could break that down a little bit better. But Jake Bentley and friends rather, rather pedestrian in how things unfolded there. Defensively, uh, a good the football program. Sky Moore, their linebackers outstanding. But I, I look, I mean, I don't know. I I uh I don't to say I'm disappointed by South Carolina this year, Phil, but I I guess I was expecting uh to be a little bit more prolific in a lot of areas of their game. How about you?
1: Well there were two key factors that happened to South Carolina during the year. Their top receiver by far, Debo Samuel, a game breaker. In fact against Kentucky in week three He had five catches for 122 yards, also dangerous on the return game. He was injured and lost for the year. And then shortly thereafter, their top running back, Rico Dowdell, went down to injury and was lost for the year, and he missed the last five or six games for him. So I think losing your top running back, your top receiver, did hurt that South Carolina offense down the stretch. Uh, Bentley did well, as you touched on. Not an overwhelming year. 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Probably expected a little more. Uh, because as a true freshman, and a, I believe a 17-year-old true freshman, maybe 18, uh, nine touchdowns, four interceptions last year. So expected a little bit more, didn't quite get it. But uh, part of that was the offensive line that was all banged up. At one point, they were missing three starters on the offensive line. They got a couple of those guys back, but the top running back, top receiver, not coming back. And you know when I break down this matchup, Michael, I, you know South Carolina's probably played above what was expected for them this year, getting the eight wins and probably above what they deserved. You look at the opener against NC State. In that game, they won thirty-five twenty-eight against a pretty good Wolfpack team. They were actually out first down twenty-nine to twelve. They were outgamed by two hundred and fifty-eight yards, but somehow, some way. Will Muschamp had them win in that football game. And then you go to the flip side of the coin. I know Michigan fans were expecting more than 8-4 and four this year, even with the schedule as it was, knowing they'd probably be an underdog in three of their games this year. It's a Michigan team that uh, I think disappointed their fans. But overall, they're not doing too bad. In fact, Michigan this season outgained their opponents by 86 yards per game. Meanwhile, South Carolina, as, uh, despite the same exact record, have been outgained by 34 yards per game. So I think Michigan's got the better offense, actually, and even though they don't have a better offense in many teams, they do have the better offense. They clearly have the better defense. Number six against number 32. Special teams are close, so no great equalizer there. And the coaching is pretty close. So I I think Michigan's just simply the better team. I think they're going to be hungry coming off losses to Wisconsin and Ohio State. And as I mentioned earlier, they only trailed Ohio State by four late in the fourth quarter until giving up a touchdown. I'm going to go with Michigan. Even though you would like to play with underdogs, generally once you get to January 1, the favorites take over. And I think this is one favorite that takes over. I like the Wolverines in this one.
0: Yeah, and as a sidebar to that, too, I mentioned Brandon Petersfield. Of course, Jim Harbaugh brought in Shea Patterson, who was, I think, a, a PS number one two years ago at the quarterback position, one of the top recruited quarterbacks in the country, started his career as old Miss. Now, the question is, will he be eligible for 2018? We're going to have to wait until the NCAA decides on that, and it could be as late as February, but uh yeah, I'm with Phil. I'll go Big Ten here over SEC Michigan over South Carolina. Let's go to the Peach Bowl on Strongest Steel on January 1st. Oh, Scott Frost and UCF, huh? What a fabulous year they have. And But uh, as their reward... Oh, look out, uh, got to deal with that group from Auburn, Alabama, Gus Malzahn and his Auburn Tigers, who, uh, of course, I think made a lot of the college football world happy that just uh, Uh, doesn't want to ever root for the top dog and that top dog of course has been Nick Saban uh, for about the last uh, 11 years that he's been in Tuscaloosa but it was Auburn that came up with that Iron Bowl win at home over Alabama on uh, November the 25th of course uh, to win the SEC West but of course, those Tigers then uh, ran into those uh, Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship game. But UCF, of course, one of the most Phil will tell you about it in a moment here. I mean, this is one of the most electrifying, potent offenses in the country. I think we mentioned earlier in the show that they uh, they led the nation this year in points per game. Now Scott Frost has already taken the Nebraska Cornhuskers job and. Phil, he's been trying to do now here's one, he's been trying to do both through the entire month of December, he's in Lincoln recruiting for Nebraska with the early signing period, he wants to see it through with UCF and, and uh, run practices and coaching the bowl, how in the world has this played out for Scott Frost and uh, how is the approach going to be for UCF against an opportunity to really really, I mean, they're on the map but I mean, they they beat Auburn here in the Peach Bowl, they're really going to have the, uh, the college football world buzzy.
1: Yeah, the group of five have pulled three upsets the last four years in the meetings between the group of five and Power Five in these big bowl games. And uh, so I think they're going to come in highly motivated. They're thrilled that Scott Frost stuck around, so the players will be highly motivated this year. But the other thing I look at is when you look at UCF and you look at the defenses they face so far this year. Maybe the top defense was USF, which barely edged into the top 40. Every other team was in the bottom 20 or 30 of the NCAA. Auburn's got a little different defense than that. Uh, They've got one of the best defensive lines in the country, one of the best overall defenses, in fact. They held their opponents to 121 yards below their season average. UCF, one of their players spouting off that they've got UCF speed. The SEC doesn't have that type of speed. I got a newsflash for you, buddy. The SEC has plenty of speed, uh, so I think that that's going to motivate Auburn a little, as well as the undefeated record for UCF in this one will motivate Auburn. So a lot of times you worry, is the Power 5 team going to come motivated? I think 12-0 and UCF, the chance to knock off a third double-digit undefeated team in one in the same year after beating both Georgia and Alabama, should have motivated. And if Auburn's motivated – They're the much better football team on both sides of the ball. I mean, you can put check marks up and down, pointing out Auburn left and right. Uh, They'll have the site edge. Uh, They play play at this site all the time in the Sugar Bowl. Special teams edge a little bit to UCF. Once again, they play their softer schedule. They'll be motivated by being the underdog. And uh, Mackenzie Melton is a dangerous runner, but once again, they haven't really faced a true defense this year. Uh, As long as Auburn comes to play, and I think they will,
0: I like Auburn to win this one by double digits. Yeah, me too. I uh, I hope it doesn't get out of hand and get real one-sided. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of UCF fans probably say, come on, right, guys? now We've we got an undefeated quality football team. I get it. Uh, yet, for all the reasons Phil pointed out, I mean, listen this could be a dawning task for um the UCF against uh, Auburn. All right, let's move on on uh, January 1 as uh, our slate continues to get uh, real juicy. Citrus Bowl time where the 14th ranked Fighting Irish of Notre Dame in the kind of final college football playoff poll, uh, 14 against the 17th ranked Tigers Of LSU, Phil. This is uh, this is a matchup that we go back in history, and you know it's it's been a while, but we've seen it before in bowl games. Notre Dame and LSU, Brian Kelly's squad, uh, you know, had everybody's attention until, as you brought up when we were uh, going through Miami and Wisconsin, until they got absolutely shellacked down in uh, South Florida, and things got a little bit sideways for them. Then you know, lost again as well. Uh, against Stanford LSU, a football team out of just a lot of always seems to be a lot of upheaval, Phil, around Ed Orgeron and everything that's going on there. Now there's a possibility that there could be staff changes. There's murmurings of that happening as well. how do you see Notre Dame and LSU, Phil, with uh, – if Notre Dame was able to beat LSU in this football game, I mean, does this, does this signify and cap off the kind of I told you so for Brian Kelly after everybody was reeled down on them for their poor year with Deshaun Kaiser at quarterback in 2016? Yeah, I, I think it would be a big help, especially the way they finish off the
1: year. I mean, uh, Notre Dame at one point only had a one-point loss to Georgia, but to be dominated at the line of scrimmage by Miami of Florida, and then same thing against Stanford, only ran for 3.5 yards, and it was a banged-up Stanford team that ran for 152 and uh, beat them in that game. Even though Notre Dame finished with the yardage edge, the key was two turnovers in a matter of uh, two plays, and but both set up Stanford touchdowns and put them in the in the deficit. Now, LSU started out the season slow but played great down the stretch. You have to wonder how that's gonna work out here. If LSU's uh, great down the stretch, Notre Dame not great down the stretch, the current form would say LSU wins this game. but And, L- and Notre Dame probably going be without a couple of top receivers for this one as well. So a couple of question marks for Notre Dame on the offensive side of the ball. Can that offensive line, which by the way, won the Joe Moore award for top offensive line in the country. It's got two All-Americans on it. Quentin Nelson, Uh, one of them, Matt McGlinchey, the other. So they've got the talent there at Notre Dame. Now, can they run the ball on a very good and athletic LSU defensive front seven? That's going to be the key. I like both defenses here. In fact, on the season, Notre Dame's defense holding opponents 50 yards below their season average, LSU 88. Uh, it's one of those where it's tough to call. I can make a case for LSU, and yet I can see Notre Dame possibly pulling the upset like they did a few years ago when they played LSU in the bowl game. I'm going to go with under as my favorite play in this one, uh, under 51-and-a-half in the, uh, the Notre Dame-LSU game. I think both defenses will do well.
0: Yeah, no, I like that, and I can completely understand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, give you a side. I'm going to take LSU in this one. Uh, I I, I like the way LSU came down the stretch, and they seem to get some things straightened out. And uh, we mentioned the well, that uh, that Stanford football game at the end of the year for, for Notre Dame. So I'm going to go with LSU in the Citrus Bowl, and uh, this one should be uh, a lot of fun to check out. So uh, that brings us then uh, to – the uh, the pair from the uh, the college football playoff, right? Uh, Rose Bowl and of course uh, then the uh, then the Sugar Bowl. So let's start with uh, the Rose. Georgia, twelve and one on the year, third ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee against second ranked Oklahoma. Both of these twelve and one football teams. Uh, Kirby Smart's done a fabulous job, Phil. I think we'd all agree on that. He went 8-5, uh, and five, capped it off with a uh, nice, impressive bowl win over TCU in his first year in Athens, Georgia, running the program. But, I mean, this 12-win football season, I looked at it. This is only the third time that the Dogs have reached uh, 12 wins in their storied history. Vince Dooley did it in 1980 with the national champs as they went 12-0. and And then the guy we talked about, the uh uh, the former head coach, now in Miami, Mark Rick. Remember those uh, 2002 SEC champs? They were 13-1 and after they beat Florida State in the Sugar Bowl. But, I mean, this Georgia football team has been phenomenal this year. They lost Jacob Eason. Jake Fromm stepped in. And one of the true freshmen was uh, truly special. Kind of belied his 18 years in leading this offense. And uh, defensively, a very tough football team as well. Very, very good. Stout Question is, Phil, I mean, Baker Mayfield, I know we went through the top of the offensive rankings in college football, points per game, yards per game, and I know they weren't in the top three or four, but you show me a better offense than the one Baker Mayfield directed uh, for Oklahoma all year long because they were sensational. Uh, Mayfield, of course, the the Iceberg Trophy winner who's phenomenal. Now everybody wondering how high is he going to go in uh, the NFL draft? He He's had one of the finest quarterbacking years that we've seen for a quarterback in a long, long time. And, you know, Phil, again, I, this could be a classic matchup uh, and doesn't feel like a Rose Bowl, Georgia, and Oklahoma, but uh, that's what we have in the one of the semis in the college football playoff uh, Again, where do you? It, is there anywhere that you may see a decided advantage, and, and does it lie with Mayfield and his ability with all of his Oklahoma weapons?
1: Well, you know, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here, Michael. I know we're running out of time on the podcast today. You've pretty much covered both sides of that game. I rate the game a toss-up, so I'm not going to give you a strong lean one way or the other. So uh, I'm going to let what you said on that one roll, and we'll get
0: into the next matchup. Okay. <laughs> Phil Steele, keeping it uh, keeping it it's special. Next matchup would be, of course, Alabama and Clemson. Times three, Phil Steele. Uh, so I'll do the same thing you just did. Times three, two classics the last couple years. We know that. The decided and last drives. The Alabama winning following the 15th season. Uh, and, of course, Clemson on that, on that touchdown pass a year ago from Deshaun Watson to Hunter Renfro wins to follow the 16th season. Is times three, number three, going to live up to uh, all of the, the advanced billing just like the first two?
1: You know, I think it should. I think when you line up both these teams, Clemson definitely rates the edge on the defensive line uh, coming in. I'm still gonna give the edge to Alabama at running back, maybe on the offensive line and maybe in the secondary as well. Coaches, how do you go against either one of these coaches? I mean, Davo Swinney, I believe, is nine and one his last ten postseason games. How do you go against that? Nick Saban, one of the best ever. A uh, special team's edge, though, I give the edge to Alabama. I've give, got them rated number 24, and I've got Clemson number 99. Now, last year, Clemson wore them down. They ran that fast pace offense and got them, but they also had Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson came in that game with 80 career touchdown passes. Kelly Bryant comes in with 13, only 13 touchdowns, six interceptions. Believe it or not, Jalen Hurts ranks about uh, 19 points better in the quarterback rating. He's got 15 touchdowns one interception. So while I rate the two teams almost that even, and Clemson deserves to be the number one team in the country, there are three key reasons that I'm actually leaning with Alabama in this one. First of all, When's the last time you got Alabama off a loss? Well, it's pretty rare, but Alabama is off a loss. They lost Auburn in their last game. And keep in mind, that was a banged-up Alabama defensive uh, linebacking core in the final month of the season. They get two linebackers back that missed the entire season. These are guys that were supposed to start at the beginning of the year, missed the entire year, got injured in the opener. Those guys are coming back. This is as healthiest as Alabama's been all year. So Alabama off a loss, that's a good thing. How about playing with revenge? Yeah, Alabama's playing with revenge. Clemson beat them last year. Again, Clemson came in as the underdog and had Deshaun Watson. They don't have Watson this year. And now you've got Alabama. And now, even though in Vegas, Alabama's a three-point favorite, you know Alabama feels like an underdog. They barely made the playoffs. And there was a question, do they belong in the playoffs? Meanwhile, Clemson's the number one team in the country. If you're Nick Saban, I got my team believing we're underdogs, and I feel Alabama truly believes they're an underdog. And if that's the case, the last two times Alabama's been an underdog, they have won and won big. So Alabama, off a loss, playing with revenge as a dog. How many times has that ever happened? I'm going to have to side with Alabama, which finally looks like the team that they were coming out of the month of October when they were 100% healthy.
0: Wow, that's a that's a strong call, and Phil, I'm going to keep close tabs on. Uh, look at four names: Terrell Lewis, uh, Christian Miller. Uh, as well as Anfernee Jennings and uh, Rashawn Evans. Those are those four linebackers that missed a large part, if not all, of the regular season for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I I checked all four of them are on the depth chart and expected to see time. Two of them should reclaim their starting jobs, and uh, this could be the difference. We shall find out. I really believe Clemson right now. Uh, you make case the best football program in the nation over the course of the uh, the last three, if not four, seasons. But uh, I'm with you. I'm going to take Alabama in this one as well. Phil Steele, that is a uh, a tremendous amount of work in the bowl season. So then, uh, well, we we won't uh, go for the uh, the uh, the national championship game since. Uh, You have not declared how you see Oklahoma and Georgia. You kept us in suspense on that one. But uh, it's been a fabulous year, no doubt about it. And uh, we started this thing in July, Phil, and, uh, boy, we were rolling all the way through from the previews regular season and now the bowl season. It's been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it.
1: Yep, it's been a lot of fun, Michael. Uh, Got to run, got to catch another radio show. But uh, happy holidays to you and uh, all the listeners out there. And uh, we'll talk to you next year.
0: I'll uh, talk to you next year, no doubt about that. Phil Steele, everybody, off and hardworking as always. Uh, I want to real quick bring in uh, producer Jim Nabosna. I know you're there front and center, right, my friend? That I am. I want to wish you uh, the very best of New Year's, buddy. You did a fabulous, fabulous job, and I want all of our strongest steel listeners to know that. Uh, Jim Nabosna is who... Um, you've heard all throughout the regular season as uh, we get into our social media aspect. He is the, uh, he's the heartbeat of strongest steel because he makes it run and keeps everything going. He did a tremendous job all year long, really enjoyed it. And I'm already looking forward to uh, making our plans for 2018 season, Boz, great work and uh, happy new year to you and yours. I appreciate it.
1: It's been a blast being a part of it. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. So with that, you know, you're all set up for the last 14 games of the, the college football bowl season. Hope you enjoyed everybody. Hope everything uh, was as informative and um, as good for you as uh, we wanted to make it. When you go to iTunes, uh, there is room there to... Uh, to leave a comment when you're getting episodes of Strong as Steel, so please do that. Uh, let us know why you like the show and uh, exactly why you want to see it continue throughout the course of uh, the 2018 college football season. I want to thank all of our sponsors who were terrific with us all year long as well, but most importantly to all of you. I've always said you... You guys are listeners. You are a uh, tremendously informed and a very with it and aware college football fan base. And we love everything that you contribute as well. All right, so enjoy what's left of the college football bowl season, New Year's Day, and honor of the college football playoffs. For our producer, Jim DeBosna, former partner, Phil Steele, I'm Michael Regei. Uh, happy New Year, everybody, and uh, enjoy the college football playoff. We'll talk to you in 2018. Till then, so long, everyone.